You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Radio Ramadan on 87.7 on FM, 15:30 on AM. Uh you can find us on DAB on Radio Ramadan 365. Um, Ramadan 365 is on DAB. Uh, you can also find us on our website, uh, listen live, radioramadan.scot or rr365.co.uk. Uh, this particular show, Live with Sheikh Radwan, uh, Reflections Live with Sheikh Radwan, you can find on iSyllabus website as well. Uh, and of course, we are Facebook Live today uh, with Reflections. Uh, Thursday, 14th of May, 20th of Ramadan. and those of you who started on friday it is 21st of ramadan 9:28 is going to be iftar time time just now is 3 minutes past 8 and inshallah i'll take you to today's selection of uh, surah kahf uh, the story of zulqarnain uh, we'll listen to these beautiful ayahs and take uh, comments from our guest sheikh ridwan In the name of Allah, the absolutely merciful, the especially merciful. وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَن ذِي الْقَرْنَيْنِ قُلْ سَأَتْلُوا عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْهُ ذِكْرًا Say, I shall relate to you from what has been mentioned about him. إِنَّا مَكَّنَّا لَهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَآتَيْنَاهُ مِنْ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ سَبَبًا Verily we established him in the earth, and we gave him the means of everything. فَأَتْبَعَ سَبَبًا So he followed away. until when he reached the setting place of the sun He found it setting in a spring of black muddy water and he found near it a people we said O Dhulqarnain either you punish them or treat them with kindness Qala amma man zalama fasawfa nu'adhibuhu thumma yuraddu ila rabbihi fayu'adhibuhu adhaban nukra He said As for him who does wrong, we shall punish him. And then he will be brought back unto his Lord, who will punish him with a terrible punishment. But as for him who believes and works righteousness, he shall have the best reward. and we shall speak unto him mild words then he followed another way until 
until when he came to the rising place of the sun, he found it rising on a people for whom we had provided no shelter against the sun. So it was, and we knew all about him. Then he followed away. Until when he reached between two mountains, he found before them a people who scarcely understood a word. So these were ayahs from 83 to 93, Surah Kahf. Um, story of Zulkarnain. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, um, 20th of Ramadan and uh, uh, yeah, 20th or 21st um, and I, I was actually going through the surah this morning just looking at it and there aren't many ayahs left Inshallah, I, I hope we actually conclude it um, probably by 25th of Ramadan and then probably summarize it later um, see how it goes um, because we haven't set a time to finish this story uh, we want to take as much time as possible as much time as is available to actually understand the entire surah in our context that we live in just now uh, especially we chose this surah uh, in, in COVID-19 situation uh, and in a situation that we live to understand how this is relevant for us Mm. Uh, in previous days, uh, in last few days, uh, we've touched upon topics which are relevant to us. Uh, I was actually thinking how we sometimes just kind of take one word mm. or one part of an ayah and it takes us a good half an hour mm. uh, to understand the relevance. And this is how I understand we should approach Quran. Mm-hmm. Always to read and to see what is it in it for me. Mm-hmm. So Zulkarnain, the story of Zulkarnain. Sorry, I, I was I, I was giving you the cue to let's uh, maybe start a discussion with this relevance uh-huh. of uh, Zulkarnain's story. Is too much of detail sometimes, and we started talking about the detail as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I say too much detail, there is a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. of who he was and there's a lot of conversation about there is discussion of historians uh, in trying to find out who he was mm-hmm. uh, where he started his journey what did he conquer um, which people did he live mm-hmm. in uh, and at the end of the session uh, we kind of concluded so what mm-hmm. why do I know, need to know all of this detail yeah, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I think one of the things about this story is um, it, when it starts, this specific um, section, it, it mentions that they ask you about the Al-Qarnayn. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we will provide you from it. Minhu dhikra. So that first thing is right away uh, indicating that we'll give you a small amount. And so the rest of it, is irrelevant essentially the rest of it is the the detail of who he was when he lived who was with him what he was doing traveling around the earth uh, what was his purpose um all of that is left aside because of the fact that later on allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indicates that he speaks to him which indicates that he is in some way inspired by allah 
And so because of our aqidah, because of our principles of faith that we understand as Muslims, we know that God will only speak to a person that um, ascribes no partners with Allah, um, is, draws his strength or her strength from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore all of those things fit into place anyway, so, so what? Um, if we don't know the detail, what we do know is that this person was divinely inspired, divinely guided, and under God's protection for a purpose which is of relevance uh, to us in some way. And so, you know, the discussions that historians have about the Qarnayn, and even literature, Muslim literature and and Middle Eastern literature, you have lots of um, works. In fact, Abdurrahman al-Jami, he's got a work called Iskandar Nama, and Islami's got a work called Iskandar Nama. So basically, the, the annals or the travel log of Iskandar or Alexander, um, in some way kind of seeming to indicate that this is also Zulqarnain. So there's a fascination with a ruler who did rule um, you know, a whole suite of, of the world. Uh, but whether that's Alexander the Great, um, according to those historical narratives, or whether it's Cyrus the, the Second, who was also great, who was probably three, four hundred years before him, or even somebody prior to that, because in our books like Ibn Kathir's Bidayat al-Nihaya, which is a massive book on history, mm-hmm. which spans the beginning of creation all the way up until... So the name is Bidayat al-Nihaya. Bidayat al-Nihaya. So the name gives it away is, that yeah. it's the beginning of creation and then it yeah. actually extends, in fact, to all the way to the end of time. So Nihaya is how the world comes to an end. So it's an extensive work. Ibn Kathir is not uh, a proficient historian in that way, but he is very much... Um, a very like Ibn Khaldun is a proficient historian he's known to be a historian Ibn Kathir is a scholar but he collects narratives he mentions that um, you know the Prophet Khidr and the <coughs> Qanain ha- actually have a long history before that so he mentions that Khidr alayhi salatu wasalam, uh, even accompanied um, the the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam, and there's a whole history of that and the Qanain he mentions you know, narrations about him being Iskandar or somebody else, numerous details, but we never come to a conclusion on it. But essentially, there's not much point in seeking a conclusion because of the fact that um, the Quran doesn't want you to get bogged down in the detail. And this is a this is a this is a form that the Quran uses, a form of speaking and relating information that is constant in the Quran, which is if something comes up which needs to be discussed that people ask about the Quran always just refocuses the question Okay. so if you have a question uh, I won't answer the question I will give you a better question to ask and answer it reframe it reframe it or what I will do is that if you ask a question I will give you out of the question what is pertinent and relevant to you and leave the ignore the rest Mm. so this is the Quranic method this is called Uslub al-Hakim so uslub is a manner, hakim is a wise manner. Mm-hmm. It's a wise manner of responding. So the Quran is full of either direct method uh, use of this or indirect. And this uh, this is more of an indirect usage, but it still is uslub al-hakim because it says yasaluna ka'an lil qarnain they ask you about the qarnain. Qul right away is at this point is turning it and say sa'atlu alaykum minhu dhikra. I will read to you from him some small piece of information. A small portion of his information, not about the whole thing, because mm-hmm. essentially they were asking, who is he, why, where, when. The Quran is saying, we'll tell you what's relevant. Min. 
yeah, who give you something of it. In other words, this is what you need yeah. to know. And what's interesting is there's no record of any response or any indication that this is insufficient. Like this small amount that's going to be given, there's no indication that the that the the rabbis came back and said, "Oh, but we need to know more about this." It mm. was sufficient because it was dealing with the real issue, and so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that He made them, He made the Prophet or the Prophet or the Qanain, the the inspired one, established in the earth, you know, strongly established in the earth, and we provided for Him um, a means towards everything. In other words, everything that He was um, in need of to fulfill traveling and traversing from the east to the west, he was provided by God. And I mentioned yesterday that Dhul Qarnayn could mean the one that the one that brought together the two generational um, forces at his time, the young and the old. <coughs> and therefore he became Dhul Qarnayn based upon that. Mm-hmm. And that was probably his best sabab. That was probably his best means. Yeah. The, one of the best methods by which he was able to traverse using the best of both worlds. And so Allah says, so he then follows the way or or he made use of um the means so you can you can you can translate it in different ways um immediately it seems to be better translated as that he made he made good use of the means given to him that was utilize them well yeah and so after that it actually comes up a number of times actually it reminds me um so yesterday I did say that it relates to the previous use of sabab. Mm-hmm. So Allah says we established them firmly in the earth um, and we gave, we granted him from everything a sabab, mm-hmm. a means, mm-hmm. utility. And then I said he used the utility, he used the means. And what's translated as it, in this translation is so he followed away. Mm. Yeah. So he followed away. Yeah. So I don't know if you. you uh, so it's the same, same, same translation here. Um, it's. Uh, so he followed away. Yeah. yeah. And so the issue here is in. in um, you know, the reason I'm saying it, it's it's not that is because in. In, um, in the principles of tafsir, they have this. Well, principles of language, in fact, Arabic language. Um, they always They always have this principle. Uh, 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 which basically means that in, in the use of language which is to provide a new meaning each time something is mentioned is better than taking something to be repetition so yeah with you I have an example so if somebody so we're in fasting um, somebody argues with you hmm um, the Prophet said if, if you're in that situation You should say I'm fasting And in the hadith All the narrations that we have Is the Prophet mentioned it twice So scholars say The Prophet wasn't saying To the person Say twice I'm fasting What they say is The first statement that he makes That you make When you say you're fasting Is you're reminding yourself, mm. I'm fast in Nisa'im. And then once you realize you're fasting, which means you should control yourself, you inform the other person, I'm fasting. Do you understand? Mm. So in other words, the same phrase is used to convey different meaning. 
It has different shades. A different con- different use. One's for you to control you. The other one is to is to tell the other person so that they control themselves as well. Each of them goes to a different letterbox. And it's like the Prophet ﷺ, when he received revelation, he he he's he, he was to, he was asked, or he was in fact in fact ordered, iqra. And the Prophet said three times, ma'ana biqari, I'm not a reciter. Three times he says that. But scholars say each time he said, ma'ana biqari, the first time he said it, it means in Arabic, I will not. Mm. I will not read. The second time he says it, um, it means I cannot read. The last, the third time he said it, it means what should I read. In Arabic, ma'ana biqari involves all three meanings. And so, the use of an expression. This is why you know um, translation is is is, is the translation of the Quran is conditional upon knowing Arabic language very well. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's one of the main conditions that scholars mention about scholar scholarship of translating is that you need to know your language, your your own language, you're translating to. You need to know the Arabic language to understand what is actually being meant here. And so those kind of principles are important when you're translating. And so that comes up there. And so I would consider it to be um, the fact that he made good use of the means that he was given. He did excellently. He really did enforce the use of the, the method, the means that he had to reach the East and the West. And then when it comes up again, it comes up actually twice after that. And then it means that he traveled. And then he travel another way. So the whole point is, just because the, the exact thing is copied, does not mean you then copy and paste the translation. Hmm. So it's hmm. a very important point in, 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 in just in tafsir and even in Arabic, that even if you explain so it, it, so it, it has to be different. As well, it's, it, it's kind of, um, yeah, it has a different meaning. Mm-hmm. In, in both ayahs. So the first one it says, Hamne usko zameen mein اقتدار عطا کر رکھا تھا اور اسے ہر قسم کے اسباب اور وسائل بخشے تھے سو اسباب اور وسائل اس سبب اس نے ایک مہم کا سر و سامان کیا Because later on when it says that he traveled somewhere else and then he took a path, Thumma Atba'a Sababa is the same, essentially the same Arabic construction, but it means, and then he took a pathway towards some direction, and then again, after that it will say, and then he took a pathway to, so yeah. first of all, he, he, he utilizes what he has yeah. to be able to travel, and he goes to the west, then, then he takes a path to the east, then he takes a path to To the so north. Yeah, so in, in brackets it says, Isne pehle maghrib ki taraf ek muhim ka saro saman kiya. Yeah, in brackets, in yes. In brackets. So, explaining, because it seems that for atba'a sababa, two mm-hmm. words can't be just translated literally mm-hmm. and it will express the meaning. I mean, the interesting thing here is that the, the reason the Arabic is so interesting is that you could actually have both meanings at the same time in the in the in the meaning given to you but you're unable to translate it if that makes sense yes. so we did say there's two meanings here now the the the, the thing that i've asked you know my teachers have i've asked and they've not responded to this was i said what if the two meanings 
can at the same time provide a kind of three-dimensional meaning, mm-hmm. which which is correct. Instead of saying either or, which they always say it means this or this or this, I said why doesn't why can't you have a layered process where this verse is saying he used the the means which allowed him to take the path, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's exactly what it is here mm-hmm. in Urdu. Mm-hmm. He, he took the means which enabled him to take that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's so that's that's why um, it is. And you know the translations. I I would I've I've just looked at this actually. The translations that I think would translate it would translate one or the other. Um, whereas the, the Quranic Arabic is so interesting because it allows you, if you understand the Arabic purely, it allows you to have an experience of of the movement and the utilization of means. Yeah. So, so mean, it's almost as if the, he it, he made such primitive. good use of what he had. That this was a motor to allow him to travel. Yeah, I mean, giving words to our thoughts mm-hmm. is generally a very difficult thing. I mean, and what I'm saying, what mm. picture it paints in a listener's. Yeah, so head. I mean, that, that's the whole thing about speech. Is in al-kalam la fil fuadi wa inna majuri lisanu ala fuadi dalila is when the poet said that th- th- your speech is essentially in in your fuad, which is in your internal consciousness. But the, the tongue is made as a as an a, as almost like an amplifier of what's in the heart or what's mm. in the in the self. And you, a lot of times what you see with people is they're unable to express sometimes they say I'm un, unable to express my gratitude. Mm. I'm un, unable to express my thanks or and I'm, I'm un, unable to express my sorrow. But you have sorrow and mm. it's deep. You have the missing link is your ability to put that in words that people will be able to understand exactly what you are trying to say. Mm. That's the problem. Mm. And and that's um, the nature of human speech. But with the Quranic language that's used, maybe the Arabic speech is a manifestation of Allah's pre-eternal speech. It is able to be expressed in the Arabic exactly how God wants. The problem then becomes the listener Mm. And their inability to understand it, yeah, that I mean, becomes then the the barrier to f- fully understanding the book. If that makes sense, because yeah. if I speak to you, the problem with this is I have meanings that I want to express, and I'm using words to under- express them. They might come hit the mark or not hit the mark. But the issue with the Quran is the speech is is perfectly collated for us. Our problem now is to understand it. Mm. And to, the way that that's done is tadabbur, which is, you know, you have to kind of um, hammer the, the your consciousness to the point that you start to understand it. Tadabbur. Yeah. It's what they say in English, penny drops and it doesn't always drop. Yeah. So tadabbur is is to actually um, to constantly go back and and um, shake up something to be able to understand its its essential core. Tadabbur. Yeah. The dabbar literally means to go behind the meaning of Ghar the words. yeah. So focus and and thought, and so the reason why that all that's important is it it paints the picture of what's happening. That Dhul Qarnayn is essentially riding on the wave of God's means that He's been given, 
and he rides on those waves. Basically, that's the force that moves him along, but he makes use of everything. So it's not as if he's just granted a, a ticket to the east and the west, if, uh, you know, where he takes his armies. He is intelligent enough to use everything he has around him. Doing that, he just ends up becoming the crest of this, of this wave, which then just moves from the east to the west. And then when it comes to the north, it stops. It is just hit with this barrier of peoples who don't understand speech. And that's what's interesting about what will come up as we go along. For just now, going back to Surah Kahf uh, and uh, the story of... Uh uh, Zulkarnain. Um, we were talking about this kind of in-depth meaning of why the same word can have, should have, not can have, should have layered meanings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way to understand the depth of it is to understand it in a 3D way. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- so different meanings together will collectively make sense of what's been said. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the nature of the Quran, I think. The the layered nature of the Quran and the multifaceted nature of the Quran is what makes it so intriguing that you're never completely sure with large sections of of, of its passages what uh, which of the clear meanings is understood because they can sometimes be equally clear um, or they can be ambiguous to the point that they entertain numerous uh, interpretations. Each of the interpretations has their benefits and. To be honest, each of these interpretations at certain points in human history might be more um, prevalent or maybe more alluring to the mind so that you're drawn towards one rather than another. So this relates back to the fact that the Qur'an is something that's read by a person. So the Qur'an only really becomes um, a Qur'an that's revealed if it's revealed to somebody and is read by someone understood and understanding is always based upon, you know, at least to some degree, the context, the time, the place, the environment, the situation that you're in. And so that's why, you know, if you read Surah Al-Kahf um, in a context like our current context, you have a ex- different experience, I would say, because psychologically you're living through a different experience in your life. You know, if you say unprecedented, that word that's often used now, uh, it means that you're your reading of the Qur'an should, should slightly be unprecedented as well, in some sense, because your experience as a human being is different, and the fears and anxieties that you have are now different from those that you had perhaps three months ago. Yeah. So if you think about it, everybody that's listening probably has com- completely different life goals, different preoccupations, different priorities. Um, and they pr- perhaps don't even remember what those priorities were now. That's the degree of change that we have where what you felt was the most important thing that you had at the forefront of your mind now is almost, you have to think back and think, well, what was I really wanting to do three months ago? You know, so that it's the nature of, of life is that it goes on. And the nature of the Qur'an is it allows you to understand it because of your environment and because of your context, not despite it. It doesn't try and take you outside your context and make it irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, a story like this, we don't even know if this was 4,000 years ago, where this was um, 2,000 years ago, uh, 2,005 years ago. We don't know mm-hmm. when the story was. It doesn't affect the quality of the story. The the general principle, the fact that you can make use of the, the means that you have in front of you and you can achieve amazing things. You can you can go from the east to the west. You can con- You can conquer your own... 
um, dark thoughts, you can conquer dark places. Mm. So this is essentially the story of Dhul-Qarnayn um, in Islamic history is about him conquering the dark recesses of the world, mm. the extremities. So this mm. is why when the descriptions come of where he when goes... extremities, extremities of human um, uh, behavior... Extremities of human behavior, but also because on one side there was extreme human behavior, which was which needed to be curtailed. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and that was curtailed via different means. Mm-hmm. So he met every type of person. Okay, he met all types of people, experienced all types of people in his travels, but also he met the people geographically at the uncivilized spectrum of the civilized world. Yeah, you know, for the, example, the, there were houses that had no. A roof on them Yes So if you think about it You know civilization The cradle of civilization If you read any history book From any civilization They all They all um, Congregate on the idea Of, of the cradle of civilizations The Indus um, River um, Area Or Mesopotamia Or Egypt This is generally where The civilizations grew This is where ideas grew This is where the prophets were sent This is where um, Philosophy And 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 um, and culture um, was manifest in a way that impacted other peoples all across the globe. And so the places that Dhul-Qarnayn ends up reaching are outside those known parameters of where agriculture grew up, settlements, cities. So they're going towards the extremities, mm. the dark recesses of, <clears throat> of where humans live. And then obviously the types of humans that live there are going to be, in terms of their dis- disposition, completely different. And so what he finds in this story is that he 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 starts to travel hatta in arabic means he made use of the means by to such a degree that when he reached the place where the sun sets wajada wajadaha taghribu fi aynin he he found it to to set within a a spring ain in arabic is a spring hamia hamia in arabic um in fact, I, th- I think there's a couple of narrations of the way that this is recited. Hamia or Hamia, um, both of which mean different things, but they can also, that same thing of the two meanings can be con- congealed. One, in, one means hot, a hot spring, and the other means a muddy, um, humid, turbid spring. Mm-hmm. So in other words, is it m- muddy and cold, or is it just hot and clear? Mm. It's plausible that it was both muddy and hot. So there was murky, um, in, uh, uninhabitable, um, steamy, kind of mysterious. So if you get this heat and this muddiness, it, it creates a kind of sense of um, climax there. There's a sense of um, foreboding that it's kind of murky, hot. And it's mysterious. Hmm. And so essentially where he arrives is a place which is mysterious. And he finds a, a group of people there. And then Allah says to him, um, Either you punish them or treat them with, with kindness. So this is an indication that he was um, a prophet because God speaks to him. And we really don't know of examples where Allah says to somebody something um, unless it is part of revelation, when it's inspiration, we understand that they're inspired. Hmm. 
usually those kind of words are used that we inspired or we we revealed to such and such a person or such and such a thing, a specific um, course of action. But here, you know, based on this, a lot of scholars have said, well, this is an indication that it's a, it's a prophet. But then again, we don't know. And again, that goes back to this idea of, is it is it really important? Hmm. The classification of this person as being a prophet or not? And what's interesting here is that it's not said about anything about these people, what they were doing or what they were like. But what we understand from the context is if Allah is saying either you punish them or treat them with kindness, that there was a reason why he could justify punishing them. Mm. It's understood because um, God says in the Quran that he is not unjust to his servants, his slaves, his creation. Unjust. Does God is justified to do that? Um, no, God says is God is not unjust to his servants mm. with a reason. So what we understand is that whatever these p- people were doing and the people that he came across where the sun sets. Remember, the sun doesn't mean that it sets in a specific pool of water. or It means that it goes to extremities where it appears that it is setting. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the, 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 the sea or the ocean side and you see the sun setting towards the Atlantic, you will see it setting into the, into the ocean, essentially dropping into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Now, the... The subjective experience, which is your experience of it, is it's 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 actually falling into the into the ocean. That's mm. what we see. Mm-hmm. But if you were to objectively look at the sun and the moon and the earth and Saturn and and Uranus and all these um, celestial bodies that we have in that context, it's just orbiting. So the Quran. Essentially, is telling us this the way we understand it. We subjectively see when he saw it, he saw it setting at a specific place, the extremities of the western horizon. And that essentially um, is not contradicting the idea that the sun doesn't really set. Mm. It just moves. Mm. You know, so when we break our fast, why do we break our fast at sunset? Because that's how we can experience the sun moving and how we can experience time and how we can mark time is by this friction of one body with another to the point that it disappears hmm. and so you know lots of people say well this is superstitious you can imagine you know somebody saying well, the Quran is saying that the, 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 the sun sets in this murky pool and this is a, such a such a um, such a backward mysterious idea to have which shows the primitive nature you know, quote-unquote of the Qur'an. Is it referring to uh, Black Sea, Caspian Sea, or...? We have no idea. I mean, that's, that's the, you said <laughs> you said yourself, it's not really the business of the Qur'an to yeah. uh, inquire over the Caspian Sea, to be honest. It, it, it can't really be, because that's towards the central part of where he would have um, ruled or conquered. And so we're, we're left in a situation where we're not sure. Mm-hmm. Essentially, we're left in a situation where we're not sure. Um, but certainly, from this ayah, you, you know that he reached a point mm-hmm. where there is no landmass now. Mm-hmm. It's now sea. Yeah, so you would, you would, you would imagine that to be further, much mm-hmm. further west. So this is where where the sun is setting, which is in the west. Mm-hmm. So in the east is where but it if, rises. If, if we if we 
kind of uh, if our hunch says or, or the, 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 the readings of the historians mm. point to the Iran as mm-hmm. the starting point yes and you're going west mm-hmm. so not south east west yes yeah. west so is um, west Sham Mediterranean Atlantic yeah do you understand mm. or northern north sea kind of n- northwest black sea well, then you're going north, and this is going to be the, the third part of the story. <laughs> okay. The point is that this is related to his experience of what he's seeing as his experience of what the extremity of where the sunset is. Hmm. So if you keep if you keep arguments, if you, if you go to um, Mauritania or Senegal and, and you, you get to the Atlantic Ocean, the sun sets. If you get on a ship, you start going into the ship, into the Atlantic Ocean, at a certain point you're going to hit Argentina or um, Brazil or whatever and then you could get to the point where the speed could be such that you can just follow the sun while it's setting and it doesn't set so Mm. the point here is we're subjective human beings human beings experience things and and they say what they experience I think the point here is that regardless of seven people or eight was Mm. was it a dog or not Mm -hmm. that's Mm. not relevant yeah, because uh, it's detail, but subjectively to you, what's the purpose of it? Yeah. You weren't there, you know, um, so the Quran says, the Prophet you weren't there when they threw the pens, um, you know, when the magicians threw their pens in mm. the presence of Pharaoh and Musa. Allah says to the Prophet you weren't there. And the reason why, it's, it's, and I think the Prophet, the Prophet is told that you weren't there, when it's self-evident you weren't there, is that, their experience of that event is different from your experience. Mm, mm, mm. Like the the tension and the, and the and the and the the sensation uh, there. the sensation that would have been there and the and the and the real sense of urgency of how much is at stake that was there cannot be fathomed by ourselves. We can just yeah. read it and imagine what it was like. But imagine the palpitations of the heart, the eyes looking at everybody, the main players with so much at stake. Fear fear has got his whole empire at stake yeah. with this young challenge yeah, man who's challenging him with his yeah. with, with with Harun that is like you know that is such a pivotal point in human history but you know the important thing is how do we experience it and how did he experience it we experience it reading it and saying well he went east so west east north the important thing is what did he do what did he meet how did he act essentially that's what is important for us you know, because Expl- it's so murky. A- a- exploration is important. Because the whole point, I mean, you could do a whole different uh, turn in this and you could actually just say, why does the Quran mention Ainin Hamia, which is a, a turbid, hot, muddy spring? That indicates a place which is mysterious, mm. essentially. Mm. The, this is why I was saying the, the, the place which is conjured up is essentially a place which is mysterious. Suraj ko ek kale paani mein doobte dekha. Kale paani mein doobte dekha. Murky, dark. Yeah, yeah. Turbid. Gadla, siyahi mile. Yes, so it's the, the idea. So the whole point is, if you can picture that, you can picture a place in some kind of movie where it's like a non-earthly place. Yeah. Do you understand? And is, is that not the point of it? When, when, I read, when I read this, you know, on Fridays, the, what comes to mind is not, I'm thinking, okay... It might be 
the Caspian Sea or the Black Sea or the or the junction between the Mediterranean and, and the Red Sea. It never even comes to my mind that that could be even necessary to think because mm. the, the language indicates that it's a place on the extremities, almost like the other side, mm. you know, like the, the dark side. And this is where he found these people rebelling against God, but still God gives him the permission to either take them to task, imma tu'adhib, either you, you punish, and in English it says punish them, it doesn't, in, in Arabic it doesn't say punish them, it, sh- it says imma tu'adhib, which means that you either punish, and this is, a, this is something in the Quran that comes up a lot, when it's something that is indica- indicative of, of punishment or threat, Allah usually doesn't mention the people receiving it as a means of mercy, f- mercy for them and also to inculcate an etiquette within us mm. that we're careful how we use our language. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. Because it, just, it says the verb and it doesn't say who's, who is going to be affected by it. But if you look at when Allah says you can give them ease, وَإِمَّا or you can husna, or you can take the path of kindness with them. With them. It doesn't say you can punish them, even though translation has done it without brackets. It should have actually in brackets. Or treat them with kindness, indicating that etiquette, if you're you're reading this and you're thinking you have a choice between two things, your choice is always to use the best language when you're trying to educate, inculcate. And the Quran is just teaching you the way that you speak. That Allah out of his mercy is not mentioning the people punished or the people avenged because it, the important thing is you understand that something is somebody is going to be at the end of that punishment. And then you can make your mind up and your imagination can run wild on what that will mean. And the interesting here for me is what does Dhul Qarnayn say? He says, as for the people that are you know disbelieve, who've done wrong. Uh, I will punish them. Mm. And then he will bring, uh, be brought back to their Lord in terms of resurrection, uh, who will punish them with a ter- terrible um, torment. So essentially what he's saying is the people that deserve it will get it. Mm. You know, I am, um, I've been given the asbab, I've been given the means, and I am there to fulfill what God desires from me, which is people that are ju- unjust, who are, in, in a state of zulm against other people who are oppressing other people, that's the case. And as for those that believe and do good actions, they will have the very best and the very purest of rewards. That's very interesting. And he says we shall speak to them with mild words. So right away you get that contrast. Husna. Husna is like Ihsan, which is mildness, which is perfection, which is fineness and an elevated station of speaking with somebody or dealing with somebody. And so that is one story. That is the, when he goes to the West. The West is murky. It's, it's, it's intentionally ambiguous. That's the whole point of the story is intentionally ambiguous, intentionally mysterious, intentionally vague. Because the essential thing, if he gets there, the good people will get a good reward, the bad people will get just desserts. That's a simple um, westward conclusion to the story. And then Allah says, Thumma atba'a sababa. And then he takes 
a pathway. And you could also say he makes use of his means to set on another pathway towards somewhere else. And so this place is until he reaches Matla uh, Shams, which is the place where the sun rises, which is going to be towards the east. He found it rising upon a people um, whom we, meaning Allah, had provided no shelter against the sun. So this is what you're mentioning. You know, the, the people that he came to lived in habitations which had demarcations of where they lived, but they had no sense of protection from the sun, no conception of shade. So this is um, people live, living essentially in the wilderness who still demarcated places which they owned. And so this is the, the, the second place he goes to, which is the extremity of towards the east. And, and so what happens here is, Allah says, so it was. And we knew, and we knew all about him. It was mm. each of these specific people that he went and met. It doesn't actually conclude the story of what happened there. He just met these people. Mm. He just came into contact with these people. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that this is. We are in a situation where we have complete control and knowledge of what he did. And then after that, it said then he followed another way, or exactly the same thing. Then he made perfect use of the means that he had until and this is when the story of Ya'juj and Ma'jud um, comes up until he, until he reached between two mountains mm. he found before them a people who scarcely understood a word so this is interesting he goes to the west conquers and establishes justice he goes to the east he finds again People in the extremities of civilization. So this whole idea is, remember he's going so far that he gets, he goes off the beaten track to meet new types of people. Mm. you understand? So the place is strange in the West. The way they're living is strange in the East. But they're essentially almost like an Aboriginal state, which is, you know, they're not rebelling or anything. And then you have this situation where he takes another pathway, which essentially the scholars mention is a northern pathway. Hmm. From where he is, which from Persia it would be northern up towards the Caucasus, towards Russia, towards Mongolia, and he finds a people um, who are unable to utter intelligible speech. Hmm. So this is the description that's given of them is essentially that a people who scarcely understood a word, and this is interesting because it either means that. They don't know how to speak. They know how, don't know how to articulate. Or when people articulate speech to them, they're, they're unable to comprehend what is comprehend. being said. So it's comprehension. This they idea both of. probably are similar things. Mm -hmm. People who can't express, articulate, they will find it difficult to absorb either uh, as well. I mean, the thing here is what does it mean they don't. Understand because if if you take the translation, I don't know how it's translated. How is it translated in Urdu? Because in the in the English, um, I are we saying? This is ninety three. It says until he reached two, between two mountains, he found before or near them a people who scarcely understood a word. In other words, if he spoke to them, they don't understand anything. Now in the Arabic, the Arabic says la yakaduna yafqahuna qawla. You know, either they are unable to understand when you speak to them, or they don't understand the the purpose of speech itself. That they don't, they're not able to produce, 
اور کمیونیکیٹ پھر اس نے ایک اور مہم کا سامان کیا یہاں تک کہ جب دو پہاڑوں کے درمیان پہنچا تو اسے ان کے پاس ایک قوم ملی جو مشکل ہی سے کوئی بات سمجھتی تھی Yeah, so they don't under, they only understand things with difficulty. Yeah. So you know, you could say hard of, not hard of hearing, but hard of understanding. Mm, hard of understanding. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, in, in kind of a footnote, it's most, it's been interpreted as um, they couldn't, they, have, they had a different level of understanding mm-hmm. and language. Okay. The, the language was so different. that they mm. could not comprehend what was being said. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, the thing is, but civilizations, they have their languages. Yeah. And, and so the issue could be that it was an uncharted language. And remember, I remember I'm, I'm painting this picture of the extremities of civilization. Mm. And within civilization, like the Ottoman Empire had numerous languages, numerous races, numerous religions and sects and religious denominations. At least they, they were chartered and they were... understood and they were registered and we knew exactly how to speak to them and what to say to them and how to in- interact with them. Now, the moment that you get beyond that and you find Aboriginal people or people whose languages are not um, developed. developed or recorded, then you don't have the interpreter to call to and say, look, can you speak to them, tell them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very interesting that it's been said that the reason for the people کوئی بھی زبان کی واقفیت نہیں Um, during the colonial period and imperialism, they basically mapped out every language, every religion, every sect of religion, every denomination, every people, every race. In fact, race itself, you know, there's a lot to be said of the fact that race itself was part and parcel of the mapping process of other peoples. You know, when they conquered, they had to classify. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally absorbing it. I'm actually imagining what was done in 1700s, 1800s. No, no, because... To, to, it's, it's a very similar journey. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's, yeah it's exactly that. You, go, you got um, Livingston, you know, going through Africa and meeting all these Aboriginal African tra- tribes. You've got people, you know, get... I mean, essentially, the... the Portuguese and then yeah. the Spanish and the English, they all the arrived at the extremities of human civilization. And so when they arrive there, they essentially are doing things that we basically can't conceive of. But one of the things they do is they start to classify things and find people that can interpret. And so in, 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 in the East India Company, they had people that spoke Hindi, Persian, Turkish. They learnt the language and they ended up knowing it better than yeah. um, other people. You know, we had a teacher here in um, Professor Matic. Matic, yeah. Um, you know Professor Matic. Yeah. So he was famous for many things. <laughs> But he was very famous for embarrassing the Arabs who came to study with him. So I studied with him, I think it was a year, his last year before he retired, Islamic studies in Glasgow University. And the interesting thing about him was I saw Arabs um, being humiliated by him in his use of language. Yeah, because he, he knew it so well. 
He knew it so well. He could when he spoke it. It was so strange because it was very clear, broad accent, yeah. accent English. But if you could transcribe what he was saying, it was like this pure Bedouin Arabic from the the second century. Mm. And so, how did he learn that? Because they had this whole program where they ended up mastering languages, mastering religions, and there's a whole. There's actually a very strong case for for um, for arguing that religion as a class of study was invented by colonialism. Hmm. Like we have study of religion, what's a religion? Uh, how is it different from other aspects of life? That whole process actually happened through colonialism, not that through... That kind of total... <laughs> so this is religious life, Yeah. whereas before, we, we always say Islam's a way of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was... Hinduism was a way of life Buddhism, Christianity um, Was separating the two Everything was a way of life Until the imperialists came in And and the colonial powers came in And they said okay Now this is religious Okay So that's your private And this is secular And this is East East India Company can decide on this And then Before you know it Religion is a small pocket And you know the great irony And the great sad thing So religion becomes confined to Braille and Dioband? No, no. You know the great um, you know, heart-wrenching thing of this whole thing is that Muslims embraced it and made religion. Um, they got into this mindset, okay, just leave our religion alone. Yeah, yeah. And that, that is essentially, you know, I, I think the basis of, of a major heresy that is un, un, unchartered and untraced in our, in our civilization, Islamic civilization. That process where we, we actually... Embraced the fact that we're just a religious grouping, or we embraced the demarcation of people as being just religious. Whereas religion, as we know throughout human history, has been religion, which is to bring your nation together. Essentially, that's what religion means it's to bring everybody under the yoke of a, a common means of living. And this, and they talk about today, I mean, before COVID, they used to talk about British values. Um, that idea that essentially is to try and create a religion because it's trying to create value systems which embrace everybody despite the fact they have different belief systems. And so that's why this is, um, I don't know why I'm talking about all this, but um, perhaps you can remind me why we're going down here. Um, there is it's, a, it's a mastering of the language. We started with the language and yes, how the yes. colonization. I think it's the process that every. Yeah, they could not understand. Yeah. They could not understand um, speech. And essentially, essentially, what I'm saying is that um, the reason why they could not and, and it could not be understood by the Qarnain is because this was, this was uncharted territory. So it goes back to the same thing I was talking about. The extremities are being reached, the east and the west and the north, are reaching to the point that it's difficult to get an interpreter who's from your side to communicate with their side. Mm, mm. And so that barrier of communication is such an important thing that's focused in here, which essentially you can take to the most mundane, our own day-to-day lives, is that if you don't understand the language of the person you're speaking to or their body language or their or even their problems, or you don't get to the point where you can understand what their issue is, essentially you will end up building a barrier, which is going to happen in this story. Um, You have to basically say, okay, I don't understand what you're saying, 
I don't understand your experience. I don't even care about your experience. The best way to deal with this is just to block it off. Mm. And with the human experience, that is not the best thing to do. But here it is different because they're considered to be not just people that don't understand language and don't understand speech and articulate argumentation and reasoning and diplomacy. Because remember, this is if you're if you're traveling, we understand that he's conquering. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're conquering and you come to a, a, a group of people, you always have what? You provide t- terms that you become part. Mm. Or so Alexander the Great did this because he basically said, okay, who's, the, who's in charge of all this place? Okay, I'll give you this, take or leave it. Mm. If you leave, if you, if you take it, you're the, the governor of this whole area, you have riches and all the rest of it. If you refuse, then we will decimate you. Yeah, we'll fight. But they find the people here where they can't even exp- express to them this is what's going to happen. So this un- understanding here is that you know the whole communication breaks down. Um, see, it seems there's a huge... So this character which is introduced is such a powerful character in so many different dimensions mm-hmm. that he's given the, the, the perfect environment, mm-hmm. the perfect means, and after those means, mm-hmm. uh, they, they are... Uh, He's given the ability to travel as well, mm-hmm. uh, vast distances on all, in all directions. Mm-hmm. And not just meet with people, but actually conquer them mm-hmm. in a way that they become subjects. Mm-hmm. And create a world order of Zulkarnain. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, yeah, something... To be discussed in more detail mm-hmm. why this is introduced, mm-hmm. why this story is introduced, mm-hmm. and then the common threads in all expansions, mm-hmm. and what do we understand from it? Yeah, I mean the, the, the obvious the obvious thing here is that you know that when I mentioned the Surat Kaf, I, I, I keep coming back to this idea that I think it's this watershed chapter in the Quran that that. Is starting to indicate the, the change in tide of the relationship of the Muslims to the Quraysh and to the Arabian Peninsula and therefore to the whole world. It's that point where from the back foot you're going onto the front foot and also you are being given the the bushra of something much more um, expansive. And so the introduction of Zulqarnain is, is interesting because all of the stories that are mentioned here, they in some way very closely relate to the seed of the Prophet and here the, the prophecy is, is, is as clear as you can get which is that if the Prophet is given the ability to make use of the young and the old being able to make use of the resources he has in front of them and he does it with a judicious um, intelligent mind which he's given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his mind was uh, and his teaching method and everything was expellative mm. um, therefore you expect that the same thing will happen. And you expect also that there will be barriers that will eventually be reached. So you have the Pyrenees, you have the the Chinese kind of lands to the east. And to the north, You have, during the, the time of the Khulafa Rashidun, they also conquer what are historically known to be the places where um, Cyrus II or even Alexander reached, which is the North Caucasus, Caucasus and even further than that. So that is something that we know, but it's also something we, as you said, 
we, we notice in other civilizations as well, specifically the Ottoman Empire as well, we, 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 we actually embraced different civilizations and cultures and incorporated them hmm. and gave them a degree of equality that I don't think any other civilization allowed its, its subjects because you have the, the Byzantine Empire, you have the, the Western Europe, um, Roman Empire, you have the Eastern Roman Empire, you have the Persian Empire. When they subjugated, they subjugated. Mm. They killed, they pillaged, they humiliated. Whereas what you find with the, the, um, the Muslim conquest is a, a, a liberation. You very clearly call it that liberation. When Sayyidina Umar arrived in Egypt, he said that, you know, why are you enslaved by people? While your mothers gave, you, gave birth to you while you were free. So he said to people, why are, you sla- why are you slaves and servants to these people when you by nature are free? So mm-hmm. Islamic conquest, if you want to call it that, or Islamic expansion, was premised on the fact that the terms, that were, the terms were so great in favor of the people being conquered that they willingly embraced. Mm-hmm. And that's why in, you know, in history, one of the greatest arguments against people that say that Islam spread by the sword is that you know six seven centuries after Islam spread in Egypt, spread in Sham, spread in you know Iraq, all these areas spread in India everywhere, mm-hmm. the vast majority of people were still not Muslim. Like that tells Ta- you what they had the freedom to practice what they wanted. Time just now is twelve past nine, and today iftar is at nine twenty eight. We'll finish uh, reflections around 9.22, So uh, I don't think we're going to go for an ad break. Uh, just a little summary as, as a listener, just a little understanding. And I would like, Sheikh, that uh, as many other listeners uh, would be finding, uh, I would like to be corrected. I would like to be... So this story of Yajuj, uh, Majuj, um, which we're just going to um, enter into, uh, not today, tomorrow mm-hmm. um, uh, before this is the story of Zulkarnain mm-hmm. and it seems Sheikh that every person, individual organization a country or a community can only flourish if they are able to do these things mm-hmm. which are explained A, they are able they, they are abled they, they are enabled mm-hmm. they are able bodies they have uh, intelligent minds. They have everything which is given to them in basail. Hmm. So they, 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 you need to have that. You need to equip yourself with them. Mm-hmm. Then utilize it in its best form. Hmm. Know what you have and exploit the opportunity hmm. in its best form. Hmm. Travel. And the, the next thing is to embrace hmm. difference. Uh-huh. If you're not able to embrace the difference within you, uh, within the communities, if mm. you be- become remain insular, remain closed, mm. you will never flourish. Mm-hmm. The only people or nations flourish if they are able to keep within them all the differences that there are around mm-hmm. in the world or in the communities that you have. Yes, yes, that's that's a very interesting point. I think if you look at um, society now if you look at America for example the founding fathers basic principles were all very, very similar to the founding principles of the French um, state 
um, a post-revolution. Mm. And essentially, you know, the kind of strong leaders that you have now are calling towards the opposite. But essentially, if you look at America, it did exactly the same. It, it, it flourished because of the fact that it made use of means to the utmost research and development and, mm. and, exp- and, and, and all these things. But also allowed people in different cultures to come and remain um, within their own culture. Not part of an American culture, but there was an overarching idea of this loyalty to the American nation. Mm. But it allowed people to live in their in their in their Chinatown and their in their Puerto Rican um, ghetto. Everybody was in this kind of mm. thing, but there was this com- common purpose. Um, and if you look at, say, for example, India as well, you can imagine that would generally be the case until you have, a, again, a strong leader who wants to pull it all back and have this monolithic religious outlook which is based on Hindu nationalism. In America, you have this kind of patriotic, um, kind of quite dumb white supremacist nationalism as well. So successful nations have always been ones that have embraced the peoples that are part and parcel of it, especially so how, how if... How do you explain the Muslim heartlands with mm-hmm. majority Muslim mm-hmm. population? How well, did that come about? They're... they're Big problems because the Ummah essentially was, you know, Ummah in Arabic means a mothering mm. area. It comes from Umm, which is to be embraced by a common thread and a common goal. And all most great Muslim nations essentially were not ethnically bound. Like the Ottomans were not ethnically bound. If you look at the Janissaries, the, 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 the military corps, the religious establishment that was there, uh, they were all from quite different geographical you know you're surprised the kind of the, the wazir from was from completely ex- extreme lands that mm. were naturalized in and made part and parcel of it so what we find is that what we have now is the muslim heartland the majority of muslim countries you find quite obnoxious racism i would say yep. i mean i would you know it's it's shocking if you look at um, Arab countries and non-Arab countries, it's exactly the same. The, the, the way that they deal with the other, with the way that they deal with um, the people other, from other... From within as well. Yeah, within as well. So, yeah. you know... There's other, other, and there's other from Yeah, so within. I don't want to name countries, but yeah. It, yeah. I know it as, 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 a, as, a, as, a, as a fact. I don't need to... It's not like a hunch. It's not like something that sure. I think of. It's, it is only religion... And, and the religious mindset that takes that away. Mm. Because the Prophet said to one of the companions when he abused uh, Sayyidina Bilal and, and, and abused his mother due to her, her, her obviously dark nature because she was the mother of Bilal radiallahu anh, he said you still have the stench, the stink of um, jahiliya in you because sure. that, that, that arrogance based upon your, your, your race or you would say your colour is something that is from the shaitan, essentially. You know, the shaitan is what is he, Iblis is saying what about the Prophet Adam and salatu wasalam, you created me from fire and you created him from clay. And that idea of going down to the essential nature of something is the sign of the shaitan. And that's essentially what I think. Zulqarnayn goes to the west, goes to the east, goes to the north, and he's, he's embracing and what you found with the Ottomans, the reason why they were so successful is that they embraced, when they conquered, they embraced, mm. they naturalized. They, you know, they, they, the offspring of the sultans were from the extremities of the, of the lands. 
So if you even look at Abdul Hamid II, mm. um, his marriages were arranged because of geographical extremities, so that he would have links with, with peoples on the extremities of his empire, so that they would have loyalty to him, which essentially created a degree of safety and, and um, peace within the nation itself. And so this is what's going to this is what comes out of you know the kind of narratives in the Quran that they're that the types of people that that are, that are placed in front of us as the the beacons that we look up to are essentially ones that utilize the 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 potential that they had and we're in a sense looking at the people and their actions so this is why you know he said when Dulqarnain said as for the people whoever whoever has faith and does good actions they will have a good reward a bounteous reward so right away it's just not about whoever is the same color as me or has a lot of money or or is from a specific tribe whoever believes in good does good actions they will have the best of of, of ends the best of rewards so right away that is just so transparent remember I said the Quran is all about Believing and doing good action, mm-hmm. and so the criteria of of this of this historical mysterious figure in the distant past is still the same thing. It's not about geographical location. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about color. It's about faith and actions. Not just faith. It's not just you you uh, you know you say it and you don't do anything. That your your faith is on your tongue and not in your hands, but essentially you're doing something as well. And so that's like a blueprint for our civilizations, inshallah, that we should look up um, to. Time just now is 20 past nine. Um, for the last few years, uh, we've been uh, asking people, listeners of Radio Ramadan and ARC, uh, the, the, the building that we bought um, to sponsor uh, this building so that it becomes uh, a, a waqf for our generations to come. We had 99 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that will go on a window uh, in the building that I am uh, transmitting this uh, from reflections, um, people subscribe to the names. Thousand pounds was uh, what we asked for each name, and your name will be associated with your sponsorship. So we have final ten left: Al Qudus, Al Hakam, Al Hai, Al Muqaddim, Al Muakhir, Al Akhir, Al Zahir, Al Musair, Al Witr, Al Satir. Sheikh, if one was to pop out, which one would that be for today's show? A satir. A satir. A satir is the one that not only hides or covers up, it, it, it go, the one that goes to extremes of covering up. Mm. Satir is the one that overlooks and ignores and almost hides the sin or the wrong actions of the, of, of the person to the point that even the person is oblivious to the action itself. So sitter is like a covering. Sitir is the emphatic form of that, which again it goes back to the rahma. It goes this, this name is related to the rahma, which is the way that you your Allah's rahma and mercy in, involves us in our day to day life is the fact that we do things that deserve recompense which is which is punishment or mm. chastisement and we're left because of the fact that Allah hides it from sometimes ourselves but especially for other people that we're able to inhabit this earth without being taken to task for the, the indiscretions against Allah and also against fellow human beings that we have 
Satir is um, a name of intense mercy. Intense mercy. Intense mercy. So the, the, it's almost like um, the furthest extremity of, of what mercy could be. Subhanallah. Yeah, Satir. I'll leave you with this beautiful track of 99 Names, uh, which was shared in one of the groups this morning. Uh, and I promised, inshallah, that we will leave today's reflections with this track. Uh, keep us in your du'as. And if you would like to sponsor one of these 10 names which are left, please call us on 375-3434 or leave a message on our Facebook live page, Radio Ramadan 365. Assalamu alaikum until tomorrow. Uh, at 8 p.m. with Sheikh Rizwan on Surah Kahf. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content. 